This is from the Shebogenzo collection of koans, case 199. Dongshan's essential path, the main case. When Zen master Yu Jing of Huayan Monastery was studying with Dongshan, he said, I still cannot see the essential path. I still cannot become free of discriminating consciousness. Dongshan said, do you think that there is such a path? Huayan said, no, I don't think there is such a path. Dongshan said, where did you acquire your discriminating consciousness? Huayan said, I am asking in all seriousness. Dongshan said, go to a place when there is no grass for 10,000 miles. Huayan said, how can I go to a place where there is no grass for 10,000 miles? Dongshan said, go directly, right now. Commentary. The essential path is wild, unregulated self-maintaining, intelligent, sacred, and free. Its temple is the wilderness. Its liturgy is the gather of rocks and water, the voice of the coyote, the wild song. Its teachings are infinite wonder. Yet, if you direct yourself towards it, you are surely moving away from it. This monk wants to be free and to accord with the nature of things. Dongshan is trying to let him see that in this, in his very effort, he is creating complications. Haven't you heard that in order to live in accord with natural principles and the fundamental nature of things, all intentional efforts must first vanish. The, the essential path abides in non-action, and yet nothing is left undone. But say, if there is no grass for 10,000 miles, how can you go? Where can you go? Who would go? If you linger at the source, you will miss its radiance. If you chase after shadows, you will become entangled in brambles. What will you do? The capping verse. Wet with the morning dew, the tips of 10,000 grasses are contain, all contain the light of day. So last week, last Sunday, before we ended our morning program, I said a few words about the strong reactions we all experience as we witness the current wave of social injustice. And I'd like to go back to that and say a few words or repeat some of it for the sake of, of those who were not present last Sunday. And also so we can try to expand our view and take a look at it from the perspective of our practice. There's no doubt that we are at a very important junction and enough is enough. It is time to address injustice and inequality. It is time to expose our harmful and violent tendencies. And it is time to confront our fear of unconditional acceptance. But has it ever not been the time? 
Isn't one act of violence enough? Isn't one lost life enough? Yes, it is time to raise the awareness and it is time to act. Always has been. The question is how? The way we respond to the current crisis can perpetuate it further or lead to healing and unity. Right? So this is the, the choice. So we may want to examine how we move from the wisdom of unity rather than just go along with our emotional impulses and let anger and frustration lead the way, as they often do. It seems that there is an underlying notion that the more angry or distraught we look, the more we care and the more effective our actions will be. But it is quite the opposite. We may be a lot more effective if we learn to harness the intense emotions and use them in the service of wisdom. Caring deeply doesn't have to look a certain way or match any definition. It is faceless potential that is free to manifest as needed. It's faceless, colorless, flavorless. So where do we search for it? And how do we know when we encounter it? It can be daunting to look for it and it can seem out of reach. It's actually, it seems a lot easier to get lost in life rather than to live from a place of some clarity. So in this koan, Huayan said to Dongshan, I still cannot see the essential path I still cannot become free of discriminating consciousness. And these are very common words that every spiritual seeker can relate to. We can be dedicated and disciplined practitioners for years and still find ourselves stuck or unable to penetrate and have some sense of freedom from our conditioning and harmful habits. We may feel that no matter how hard we try, we can't break through the clouds of our delusions. And it could be debilitating and discouraging to feel this way. But maybe we try too hard. Maybe we need to look at how we apply efforts. This is true in Zen practice, but it's also true in the way we feel about social injustice. Discrimination, racial inequality, inequality, intolerance, or violence are symptoms of an old disease that has been plaguing our society for a very long time. Plaguing humanity for a very long time. And it seems that no matter how long we have been fighting it or how far we think we have come, we keep finding ourselves witnessing the same ignorance and the same callous behavior. So facing such a grim reality can easily make us feel bogged down or discouraged or feel hopeless about making any changes. And we can also easily become frustrated and enraged. But dwelling in apathy or dwelling in anger will not move the needle in any direction 
and history will just keep repeating itself as it has. So since we keep finding ourselves dealing with the same symptoms again and again, we have to ask, what kind of efforts are we applying in order to create real changes? And how consistent and determined are we? Are we consistent or do we respond like a knee-jerk reaction when something happens and then somehow it, our efforts die down and our attention moves to other things until the next wave of injustice. So dealing with such deeply rooted issues, we need to learn to process feelings of discouragement, apathy, frustration, and of course anger. And we, we have to do that by cultivating unwavering determination and a resolute stance in the face of repeated ignorant actions. And that means to be willing, to be willing, to fall down and get up again and again and again and again. Endlessly. And this is the stance we need to cultivate throughout Zen training. In the last teachings of the Buddha, known as the Eight Awarenesses, one of them is called exerting meticulous effort. And the Buddha said, if you exert meticulous effort, nothing will be difficult to accomplish. Therefore, you should make an effort to practice carefully. For when water flows constantly against a big rock, even a small amount of water will eventually whirl a large hole. But if one who practices becomes lax, it will be impossible to accomplish anything. It is like trying to start a fire by rubbing two sticks together. If you stop rubbing before the wood gets hot enough, you will not be able to start a fire. And this is what is meant by meticulous effort. So the cultivation of meticulous effort is the same as Vidya Paramita, the fourth of the Paramitas, which is perfection of enthusiasm, energy, or diligence. So it is possible to cultivate this virtue only if our practice is consistent and straightforward in its movement. Zen training, as you've heard many times before, is not a part-time hobby we engage with on weekends. Well, it may be for some, but that's not what it's meant to be. It's not a thing to do when there is nothing better going on. There's no better party in town. Might as well go sit today. If our efforts are intermittent, or if we judge the efforts based on the results, we will inevitably feel defeated and eventually give up trying whether it's working towards reducing social disparities or breaking free of the tight grip of our discriminating consciousness and our conditionings, which is essentially the root cause of social disparities. Breaking through the barrier and subduing the harmful forces in our minds in the midst of chaos, or the chaos we live in, is definitely a challenge but it is the most important challenge we can take on. And it is also the most beneficial endeavor 
for humanity. And if we, we may need to do it, or we may need to hear it again and again and again for something to actually move, for us to turn towards that kind of determination or to raise this kind of determination. It is crucial and it is the time to do it. And it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. In fact, it has nothing to do with what happens. In the Dhammapada, Eknath Eswaran writes, Control of the mind is the most challenging and the most rewarding of human tasks. And the Buddha does not underestimate its difficulties. Buddha himself said, it's a long, long road. The mind, he suggests, has a depth far greater than the deepest sea. And all the way down, it churns with emotional tempests of which we are, we are barely conscious of, but which virtually dictate thought and behavior. According to the Buddha, we don't need any hell or afterlife to look for the devil. The mind itself, quick, fickle, and exceedingly difficult to focus, is the realm of Mara. You know who Mara is, right? Who's Mara? Anybody? The one sitting on the cushion or on the chair. We know Mara intimately, right? That is Mara. In its depth lie untapped sources of great power, desires and desires and drives of such magnitude that the mind is rarely under any real control. It simply moves about as it likes. To train these forces to obey the conscious will, the Buddha says, is the only way to, to be free from the mind's race, old urges and proddings. But this kind of training, Mahatma Gandhi once said, requires a patience of someone trying to empty the sea with a teacup. So the patience Gandhi is, is speaking of is much greater than the meaning we assign to the word when it is seen through the lens of our personal and limited self. The word forbearance seems more fitting and is often used in Buddhism since it implies tolerance and the cultivation of endurance in the face of suffering over a long period of time. It's not quite how we perceive the word patience. It means to be fully open, to fully open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, so we can bear witness to the pain and suffering we inflict on each other when our minds run amok. And that includes bearing witness to our own anxieties and fear that arise when we read the news and face the current affairs. It includes our own sense of paralysis or conversely anger and anything in between 
Where do we find the strength to face it all with an open mind and a kind heart? How do we stoke the enthusiasm and maintain right effort when we feel bogged down by what happens? While it may feel impossible to find, we are all surrounded by an endless fountain of energy that's potentially available at all times. It's just that we have to watch the movement of mind. We have to learn to watch the movement of mind and become aware when it is drifting around in automatic mode. We have to develop the awareness to be able to see before it becomes too late, and often it is too late. It's not that we can't do it even when it is too late, but opportunities are lost, and people do suffer, and people are getting killed. And it's direct result of that, of not knowing how to control the mind. So where do we find the energy? Where is it not? It's probably a better question. When we wake up in the morning, the freshness of life shows up to greet and support us. As soon as you open your eyes, there it is. It is new, it is unknown, and it is inviting. But at the same time, we also encounter our anxious mind with all the known details of our lives and the many entanglements we have accumulated over the years. And the tendency is to turn away from the unknown and go along with the known and the familiar. The power and energy to fuel the enthusiasm is mostly found in the newness of the unknown. Feeling defeated does not come from life itself. Feeling defeated comes from the same mind that creates it, that creates what we feel defeated about. So in the chapter about Vilya Paramita, Sonam Thargye wrote, enthusiastic effort is a delight in virtue. It is not an enthusiasm for unwholesome activities to which we often devote much effort. It's very true. How much time and energy we devote to what is essentially meaningless or causes harm. What we know is not conducive. He said, nor is it merely dutiful exertion to create virtue despite an innate reluctance. When true delight and enthusiasm are present, stress and weariness do not occur. When delight and enthusiasm are present, where does worry go? Where does distress go? One cannot be without the other. Enthusiasm goes forward, doesn't look back. It's not about what was, it's about what is and how to meet it. So what was or what we think fades away. 
or the importance of it fades away. It may not fade away, but the importance we place on it fades away. And this is an extremely important point. True enthusiasm is associated with the flow of life. And stress and weariness are associated with stagnation and resistance. So when the attention is focused on flow, where is stagnation? And when the attention shifts to stagnation, what happens to the sense of flow? Observe the movement of mind as soon as you wake up in the morning and take charge. Even if you have not succeeded to do so, a thousand times before. Never mind before. What about now? And some people think that awakening is not possible in the midst of this chaotic life. All because we are highly conditioned to behave in a certain way and the obstacles are just too high. Some may also say that Buddhism is naive or unrealistic. But these are just interpretations of our conditioned mind that perceives habits and circumstances as obstacles rather than opportunities. We often say that there is nothing that is not practice or there is nothing outside of practice which means that we should include our anxious and fearful minds and everything we worry about. Instead of trying to find a way out of it or waiting for it to subside. So Huayan said, I still cannot see the essential path. I still cannot become free of discriminating consciousness. And this is how we feel often. And the footnote to that says, set down the backpack, take off the blinders, and look. Where are you? Where are you that you say these words? Are these words truly referred to this? Are you really saying these words? As long as we believe that our discriminating consciousness, our discriminating mind, is an obstacle, it remains an obstacle. As long as we believe that life is holding us back, we remain held back by life. But when we put all these assumptions aside, for a bit, for a little bit, put down the backpack, and open up to the possibility that we are not held back, where are we then? When the circumstances and predicaments we encounter in our lives are not labeled as wrong, they can be seen as opportunity rather than an obstacle or a justification for frustration and anger. Where do we find the audacity to say that what's happening today is not wrong? Nothing essentially is wrong. I think we are afraid to say that because we think or there is an assumption that if I'm saying this is not wrong, I am saying this is right and I am 
supporting or condoning what's happening, and that's not true. The only thing that comes out of realizing this is not wrong is power to do something about it. Nothing is essentially wrong. What's happening and the way we react to what's happening. And when it's not wrong, when it's not wrong, what is it? What, if, what is it if not, if not an opportunity to create changes? So Dongshan said to Wayan, do you still, do you think there is such a path? Do you think there is such a path? Do we believe that there is a way to break through? And the footnote says, he sets out a bowl of both honey and poison. This question is, is a fork on the road of our spiritual practice. If we think that there is a way beyond the dust of our delusion. We will spend the rest of our lives searching and we will vacillate between hope and despair. Hence the poison. But if we realize that the path inevitably includes the entire gamut between what we consider good and what we consider bad, then we understand that what we search for is right under our feet. And this is the best there is. As one ancient said, the season where light and dark are both present. That's always the season. Or there is no other season. Within light there is darkness. Within darkness there is light. That's not what we want. This is also, by the way, the poison. Because it kills that which creates the complications. And then there is nothing but honey. So Hawaiian answered, no, I don't think that there is such a path. Well, how do we know? What are the assumptions beneath such a, an answer? Dongshan said, where did you acquire your discriminating thinking? And this is an opportunity to realize freedom. Do you think that there is such a way? Do you think that it's possible? No, I don't think it's possible. Then it's not possible. Why? Because I don't think it's possible. But what if it is? What if falling down and having to get up again and again doesn't mean it's not possible? So this was an opportunity why I did not see it and said, I am asking in all seriousness, miss the point. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe we take ourselves way too seriously. Ourselves, our assumptions, and our thoughts, that's what gives validity to the sense of stuckness. So it will be beneficial to recognize how uptight we can be.
and then bring some light-heartedness to our lives. Even in the face of atrocities. And again, it doesn't mean we don't care. It means we realize, we have realized, finally realized, that the way we have been dealing with it, omitting it, did not work. Maybe we realize that we have been way too uptight about everything. Give it way too much weight. So even now, in the midst of dealing with the pandemic and the issues of discrimination and social injustice, being too serious about it can stifle our ability to see clearly and to think outside the box. Being lighthearted can help us recognize that essentially nothing is personal. And we may then be able to meet this crucial moment in time with much more vigor, much more energy, enthusiasm. Dongshan said, go to a place where there is not an inch of grass for 10,000 miles. And footnote says, look, there is grass growing between his toes. Huayan said, how can I go to a place where there's no grass for 10,000 miles? And the footnote says, up, no limit, down, no bottom, sides, no edges. What is it? When we don't see up, down, right, left, or when we see that what we see is not an obstacle, then what? Then what? So Dongshan was known for giving this advice to his students as a way to make them wonder about the way they practice and what they're seeking for. Go to a place where there's not an inch of grass for 10,000 miles. Once at the end of a three months intense training period, Dongshan said to the monks, now that you are about to leave and disperse in all directions, you must go to a place where there's no grass for 10,000 miles. And this story appears in another koan, and the footnote under that line says, he's luring cats into a dry well. Now what is that? In Zen, grass is referring to our delusion or to the complications and the mess of our everyday life and our conditionings and to the endless things we worry about and all the challenges that we encounter while living in this skin bag. So by saying go to a place when there is no grass for 10,000 miles, Dongshan is pointing at what is and he's asking us to examine how exactly are we trapped by life and how are we trying to escape it? So on one level, it may sound like he's saying, good luck trying to find life without complications. But on a deeper level, he's saying that there is a place of no grass. And it's right here, right now. It's just that the no in no grass is not denial or suppression. He's not closing our ears and our eyes. 
And it's not about looking for a moment of respite in the middle of the chaos. The no in no grass is none other than mu, which by total negation arrives at complete affirmation. And complete affirmation means nothing is ever wrong, it's just what is. And it also means that everything is included. What we love, what we hate, and the entire gamut that's between those two points. All of it has to be included so we don't feel paralyzed. So we can find a more creative way to move forward or deal with it. And so we can find the strength to get back up. So Dongshan luring cats into a dry well. Either way, Dongshan is luring us to a, dry, to a dry well. If we try to find peace by escaping life's complication, we will only exhaust ourselves, get bogged down, and we'll fail to see the immense preciousness of each passing moment. While we may be living, we may not be fully alive. On the other hand, when we turn towards the mess of our everyday life, and embrace it fully without taking any of it personally. What seems to be an obstacle will be realized just as another manifestation of the great nothingness, the great void, which Huayan was looking for in the above coin. When we die the great death, we realize that this shore is the other shore. We realize that nirvana is none other than samsara. We realize that what we are running away from is what we are running towards. Or what we are looking for. How to do that? How to embrace fully? One time a monk asked Dongshan, when heat and cold come, how should we avoid them? And heat and cold, the intensity of life in our face, the difficulties, the challenges, the pain, how do we avoid it? Great question. We all would like to know. Dongshan said, when heat comes, let it be so hot that it kills you. When cold comes, let it be so cold that it kills you. That's how. That's the shortcut. How do we get there? As Dongshan's last line in this koan, go directly right now. He's being truthful. He's saying it's available right now, but you gotta go directly. You gotta get up. You have, a, you have to have a forward motion or forward energy within. You think it's not there? Look again. You think you don't have it? Look again. And again, and again, and again, and again. And stop saying that you don't have it. Stop saying, I've had enough of this. No more. I'm sick and tired, blah, blah, blah. Stop saying that. As long as we say that, we believe that. 
and we justify laying on the ground whining about the situation so much lost time so much lost preciousness it's urgent it really is urgent I'll finish with a few words from again Sonam Thalgir he said is the true meaning of a human life is just to look after friends and loved ones and to crush our enemies? Do we fulfill our human potential by vying and preying on each other? Instead, we can throw off the laziness which impedes us, use our intelligence to rid ourselves of the despotic disturbing emotions and allow true kindness to grow in our hearts. It's urgent. And we are lazy about the way we meet it. Shake it up. First thing in the morning. Don't take two hours to wake up. Two lost hours. Wash your face. Jump up and down. Do yoga. Whatever. Do a headstand. That'll wake you up. Snap out. Life is calling. Are we willing to answer? Thank you.